As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Hey, welcome back to the show that brings you conversations with leaders, evangelists, pastors, thinkers, and apologists. I'm Justin Briley, helping you think through and make the case for faith in today's culture on the Unapologetic podcast. Well, today is the last of my conversations with Pastor Derwin Gray. Martin Luther King once said that 11 a.m. Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. And today, most churches are still split along black, white, or maybe Latino lines. Well, Derwin is the author of How to Heal Our Racial Divide. And again, he'll be telling me how they've sought to make Transformation Church, which he pastors with his wife, Vicky, a truly multi-ethnic community. By the way, thanks to DT, who wrote a review of unapologetic saying the first episode with glenn scrivener was awesome so excited about this podcast anything with justin is a winner though great start well that's very kind dt but if you can leave us a rating and a review too wherever you're listening from it helps others to discover the podcast and hey why not go one better find out more about the show and get loads more bonus content and our regular newsletter by signing up at our website premierunbelievable.com the link is with today's show. Become part of the premier unbelievable family. It'll be well worth your time. For now, enjoy today's show. So welcome to the final of four shows that I've been joined by Derwin L. Gray for. Derwin is a former NFL football player and along with his wife, Vicky, the founding pastor of Transformation Church in South Carolina. And we've been talking across these uh, four shows about how to heal our racial divide. Derwin's new book, all about what the Bible says and the first Christians knew about racial reconciliation and i want this to be a really practical kind of final episode derwin and thank you so much for the time you've you've spent with me across these episodes um uh, but tell us a bit about transformation church because I, you, one of the stories you tell in the book is the fact that when you went once to a kind of church planting conference and shared the vision of transformation and the the multi-ethnic kind of community that you'd established a lot of the pastors there just said no sorry that May, works for you doesn't work for us what 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 were you encountering in that moment and 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 have things changed uh well number one things have changed uh number two what i was encountering at that moment was a deep sadness at the lack of biblical theological and ecclesiological understanding of what the church was to be and so in essence, what I was saying to those pastors as we were discussing is I said, Transformation Church is built on the great commandment, great commission, the great commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Great com- co- commission is go make disciples of all ethnos. 
That means ethnic groups, right? Making disciples, do, do that. And I said, so as a result of that, our church reflects the ethnic diversity of our context because God didn't tell me only reach a certain certain group of people, reach, reach all the ethnic groups in that community. And so I said, we are an intentionally multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that is shaped by the gospel of G Jesus, driven by his mission and love. And a lot of the pastors who are white just said, well, that that that's good that it works for you. And I'm like, well, show me in the Bible where it says that works for Derwin. Um, and so they begin to share anecdotal stories. Well, black people won't stay. And I'm like, well, your culture you've created is not embracing or welcoming. So after I could kind of read the tea leaves, so to speak, I just got quiet and I started praying. And the Puerto Rican uh, gentleman was kind of like over the church planning group. And he just humbly said, uh, Brothers Derwin is right. This is what the Bible says, and this is the future of the, of the church. And ironically, a lot of those same pastors now, all these years later, are saying, hey, will you help us to build a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church? And so um, I wrote this book so that people in the pews can learn, man, Jesus' church is so beautiful, um, and I can be a part of healing the hurt. I can be a bridge. Um, and then you begin to encourage your pastors to do likewise. Uh, I believe in the United States of, of America that the church should be leading the way in love. And a part of leading the way in love is ethnic reconciliation and racial justice. Tell us a bit about then why it has worked and why so many people say it doesn't work in their context because what you often have heard in the the church growth movement is like attracts like and you have to kind of you know the white suburban church will attract you know white suburban people the inner city church maybe it will attract you know the cultural diversity that's there um to to, to that extent you know pe people have often said you know you, you have to kind of do that that kind of way of of doing it and maybe that is the world's way but it, it works if you like do, do you kind of push against that kind of way of doing church growth yes i do because that is a pragmatic philosophy pragmatism says do it because it works um i believe the gospel mandate is do it because you're being faithful and what is it working to actually do because last I checked, QAnon is out of control, Christian nationalism is out of control, discipleship is out of control. So having bigger buildings and more pe people in them isn't the sign of success. The sign of success is Galatians 4.19, the people being formed into the image of, of Christ, right? So Justin, um, what I would say and what we've done and why it has worked is we've just believed God. We have believed God. We have believed in a vision for the church, and then we've made sacrifices through the Spirit's power to make that take place. So, for example, our leadership team and our church staff is ethnically diverse. If your church staff is not ethnically diverse and people of different ethnicities do not have positions to exert influence um, it's not really a multi-ethnic church. So <clears throat> we see in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 13, there's this beautiful dynamic 
of these multi-ethnic teams leading. Uh, number two, we have worked really hard to create a gospel culture. And a gospel culture means <clears throat> we're going to treat everybody like Jesus died for them, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social economic class, regardless if they're male or female, because we're all clothed in Christ. We're all righteous in Christ. Thirdly, we're going to grow in cross-cultural competency. Uh, growing in cross-cultural competency means I'm willing to understand the story of another. And we get that from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul to the Jew became a Jew, <clears throat> to the Gentile became a Gentile. What does that mean? It simply meant that Paul understood each culture and was able to remove stumbling blocks so people could come to know Christ. And so understanding another person's culture is a sign of love. Understanding another person's story is a sign of love. And so cross-cultural competency is really, really important. Um, our music on Sundays is ethnically and culturally diverse. Why is it that the nightclub that my wife and I used to party in before we were Christians looked like Revelation 5-9, but Jesus's club looks like segregation in the 1960s. And so we believe God is the God of music. And so our mu music is Christ-centric, theocentric, but it has a multi-ethnic understanding so God's people can worship together as we're mm -hmm. going to do for all eternity. And, and, and then we have to learn how to have hard family conversations. The more secure you are in God's love, the more you're humble and open and less defensive. A defensive person <clears throat> is a person that's not very secure in their position. Love says, be open. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. That's written to the church at Philippi, which was a multi-ethnic church. Paul has given us <clears throat> the gospel-centered gospel ingredients. But Justin, contemporary discipleship formed out of the enlightenment even itself is very individualistic even when you read about the spiritual disciplines it's all for mm. me no god does not just want to make me better for me god wants me to be conformed to the image of christ number one to delight and experience his delight number two to be a good brother in the family of god and number three to bear witness to the world so even spiritual disciplines tend to be very, very uh, uh, enlightenment-based, which is very individualistic. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why the Bible has a lot of us and we and are, and even when the Apostle Paul says you in his letters, it's a second-person plural pro pronoun meaning more than one. We've, <clears throat> we've got to get over our individualism and understand that we are a mm -hmm. family. Our Father who is in heaven, not just mine, our Father. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. To what extent then do you do you advocate kind of a very, if you like, uh, specific approach to ensuring that you see diversity, for instance, on the stage, in the worship team, in the eldership? Um, uh, the, the danger always is that you 
can become tokenistic you know oh we we need to make sure we have a black or brown face in our lineup or whatever but um you know if you're a white church pastor or the opposite way around maybe if you're pastor of a church that's predominantly black what how, how do you make sure that it's coming i suppose from from a genuine place rather than a kind of just tick box kind of place yeah so the first thing that i would say is that it's tokenism if your culture doesn't support that particular person yeah. so in a lot of my advising to churches white pastors will say hey you know the black people that we bring they won't they don't they don't stay why is it i said well probably because your culture does not include them culture is a set of behaviors so a lot of times a person will be the ethnicity you want but your culture doesn't sustain them and what i mean by that is this so like for example if you're an all-white church and you bring a black person and you go tell us what do black people think about that mm. like you're trying to turn them into a savior if you, mm -hmm. you, you know, so, so you want your culture to be inclusive. So um, I will frequently from the pulpit. So when I share a story from the movie Encanto, I'm speaking to the Latinos. <clears throat> when I tell a story about my Indian Asian friends or my East Asian friends or my white friends, I'm being inclusive. And let me give, give, give you this. There's a reason why in Acts chapter six, when the Hebraic women are getting more food distribution than the Hellenistic women, the people pick seven Hellenistic leaders to represent them. <clears throat> Representation matters. Mm -hmm. But when you've never been a minority, you don't see it as that big of a deal, right? Yeah. So we want to be inclusive because it is a gospel mandate and it's a blessing. So it only becomes tokenism if your culture doesn't support that particular eth ethnic group. Yeah. I mean, there have obviously been, you know, cultural and historical instances where there might have been good reasons for a church to be primarily black. For instance, in the UK here, you know, when there was the Windrush generation, a lot of people coming over from um, the Caribbean, um, when they didn't find a welcome in the white churches that they visited, they formed their own churches naturally and in a sense found a home there you know a place where they could they, they could find familiar faces and culture and and everything else um so you so so to that extent the church you know because it was to some extent represented their their, their culture and and uh, and so on it, it made sense i think the problem comes maybe a couple of generations later where actually you know that there's not that tie to a specific place and time and culture and how then you start to want maybe that's the moment where you can start to see a, a more of a, 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 a multi-ethnic kind of approach. But what 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 about those instances where there might be a good reason for for yeah? For there so to be that, so that kind of, a couple of yeah. things. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, the Anglican Church in England now is primarily being supported by black. Anglicans from Africa, that the European resurgence in faith is because of Africans and p people of color who are yeah. coming. Mm. So <clears throat> that is a wonderful thing. Secondly, in the United States of America, as well as in uh, England, is the homogeneous church or black church was a means of protection, a means of education, a means of voting, 
um, a means of refuge. And there is still a need for that in America. I can't speak to the UK, but for America, because of a lack of trust, the 2016 election, I think, made black people even more protective and insulated from what they were experiencing. More of what I'm seeing is the issue is not necessarily the all black church. What I'm seeing as the issue is a lack of understanding of racial reconciliation from the majority culture church. So that's where my book is actually pointed towards is to reach majority culture people. I do believe in the next 25 to 30 Mm -hmm. years, the black church in America will have to become more inclusive as demographics change because uh, black Americans are standing at about 12%. Latino Americans are increasing rapidly and the gospel mandate to go reach all nations is still vibrant, but there's so much suspicion from the black church towards white believers that it's still a refuge. And so there has to be more goodwill shown towards black people Mm. and their understanding Mm. in the gospel. So I think that there needs to be first gen churches, particularly for immigrants with the language, but then a beginning to reach outward, which I haven't seen. Uh, There's some Asian Mm. churches that I've talked to and they're like, no, we want to reach people who look like us, think like us. And I'm like, well, that's not gospel, you know? So, uh, right. So, so it, it, it cuts in all different directions. Absolutely. I guess it, it's, it's, if you're going, if you're going to take this mandate seriously, I guess the, the tricky thing in it, in all of this is, is doing that becoming multi-ethnic without kind of losing the distinctiveness and the, the cultural beauty of those different ethnicities in the church. Um, because you don't want to kind of squash that and mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what you can do in the kind of monoethnic church if it's the asian church or the nigerian pentecostal church or whatever it's kind of hey it's got this wonderful cultural you know and and do you kind of lose that as you kind of bring everyone together and kind of do something that that tries to appeal to lots of different p- people yeah you, you know so i i think all of us are going to lose something but all of us is going to gain something and I think mm. that's what it means to wrap a towel around your waist and to serve. I think that's mm. what it means to actually love is there what what I'm what I lose, I'm going to gain from you and what you lose, you're going to gain from me. And what do you mm. what do you mm. find yourself becoming? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourself. So it's this mutual losing, but a mutual gaining. But because we're not yet in a new heavens, new earth, there's always going to be continual imbalances that we have to gospel, that we have to grow in. It is a tragedy that the church has not been that place which culture and society could look at historically and say, here's an example of what a truly integrated, truly multi-ethnic, beautiful picture of the kingdom could be it's often actually been entirely the opposite as as, you, as you've said even today american churches in the book you quote uh, um i think 10 times more segregated um than the areas that they're in uh 20 times more segregated than nearby schools so so how do we begin to change that story i mean maybe just three practical things that a christian could do right now or their church could do to move towards just taking a few steps towards being a truly 
multi-ethnic church that looks more like like jesus and the that early church vision of 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 the kingdom yeah well that's two separate questions because as the leader of the church goes so goes the church so if i was Mm. when i when i consult to pastors i say number number one you have to have this gospel vision rooted in the depths of your soul number two your leadership team has to be diverse Number three, you got to understand cross-cultural competency for individuals. This is this is what I would say is who is around your table for dinner and what people of a different ethnicity influence your kids. Number two, learn the story of another ethnicity um, and 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 take time to study and to learn. But then number three, ultimately, look at everybody like Jesus died for them and treat them accordingly. Yeah. I think so often the key is actually just to go out and have conversations and relationship. We can we can debate the rights and wrongs. We can get into arguments on on Twitter, but my goodness, in my experience, it's actually getting face to face with people that you really learn who they are and, and have those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and I was glad to have this one with you as well, Derwin. Even though it's a across a kind of a, a an online platform, it's been great to connect with you. So. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a a huge fan and I I appreciate it tremendously. Well, we appreciate you. I've really enjoyed reading the book. If you want to get hold of it, it's called How to Heal Our Racial Divide, What the Bible Says and the First Christians Knew About Racial Racial Reconciliation. I'll make sure there's a link from the podcast that we've been broadcasting with Derwin. You can find out more about Derwin at his own website, derwinlgray.com. But for now, thank you so much for being my guest on Unapologetic, Derwin. Thank you. Well, what an interesting set of chats that was with Derwin. Uh, Links to his ministry and the book from today's show, and also to our own website, Premier Unbelievable. Uh, There's a way to register there for a free ebook on the case for God and get loads more bonus content from our website as well. That's at premierunbelievable.com. If you're able to support us, that helps massively as well. Thank you so much for being with us on this set of conversations with Derwin. Next time, a new conversation begins with Mary Jo Sharp, a wonderful apologist out in the USA. More on that next week. For now, God bless. See you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.